Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wild Truth Chase podcast. Uh, I'm Niran Shah, and I'm with my co-host, Nicola Schaefer. And we also have a special guest for today. Um, before we introduce our guest, we're going to quickly go through some preamble items. Nicholas, if you want to take that away. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, we've been discussing how people can get involved with the show yesterday, or not yesterday, but last week we talked about um, you know, answering poll questions um, in Spotify, if you're listening on Spotify. And I also noticed that um, automatically there's a link inserted to every episode description where you can uh, click there and submit a voice message, which would be really fun if we got some voice messages from our uh, many avid listeners um, that we could play on the show, perhaps, or, or discuss on the show. So, you know, if you, um, if you feel uh, like getting involved or engaged, please uh, consider submitting a voice message through the link in the description. Yeah, seconded. That would be awesome to to get some voice messages in. Uh, I got some feedback recently from a Latvian uh, listener um, who suggested uh, the idea of intro outro music. This is something we have considered, uh, but we've just not got round to. Yeah, I like it. Um, you're a musician. I, I have been toying around on my guitar to see if I can record something. Maybe maybe next week we'll have something. That'd be fun. Um, another uh, item of feedback is, uh, so someone mentioned, and actually I think this is true for most of the topics we've covered here. Um, we've only really discussed them for 30 minutes or so, so we've just taken a, a, an overview of the topic, but you know, they're all really big topics on their own diet, exercise, these sorts of things. Um, and sleep is, is one of those as well. So yeah, all these topics, uh, can be explored in much more detail. And this might be something we, we do come back to in the future to, to touch on those again. Absolutely. Uh, Nicholas, do you want to take us through, um, the topics we've covered this season? Yeah, so just to remind listeners where we are, this is season one, episode six. Season one is focused on aging, um, in particular, how to age well or aging like a boss. And um, we started with an intro episode where we introduced the, the idea for the season. And then we did subsequent episodes on exercise, which was episode two, diet, episode three, um, a study of what determines aging, uh, like how people age in episode four. And then last week we did an episode on sleep, which was episode five. And um, this is kind of a recap episode. And as you mentioned at the top, we have a special guest here uh, with us. Um, Dr. Potter is a, a specialist, certainly a, an expert in aging. And we're really happy to have her today. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, Dr. Potter? Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, it's uh, wonderful uh, to be here with you. I've enjoyed the previous episodes uh, on the podcast. And I am a professor of medicine uh, and geriatric medicine at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And I have done uh, actually not so much aging uh, as geriatrics or the medicine in old age has been the focus of my career. I was telling Nourish that, in fact, I really got my start in formal training while I was in England as a medical student. So uh, it's been a 40-year career. I've been academic the entire time. So I've had the opportunity to teach, to read, to do some research, uh, and it's been an enormously satisfying career for me. 
Thank you. Uh, you know what's an amazing coincidence is that my son is named Potter. Yes, that uh, was quite a shock to me uh, because I am uh, proud to say that I'm Nicholas Schaefer's mother, um, and uh, he has your, two your of most my important three. qualification for for being on the podcast. Yes, I, that kind of got me roped in. How could I say no? <laughs> That's one of uh, another coincidence was that it was myself who actually uh, suggested the topic, and it turned out that we had an expert on the topic just very closely related to, to Nicholas. That was amazing. Yeah. And here I thought it was Nick's idea. So this is cool. Really cool. Um, great. So um, we're going to ask you to, you know, say a little bit about, um, you know, the, the season that we've had thus far um, and the topics we've discussed. Uh, and I had a question, which is just, you know, with your patience, we, we tried to establish that, you know, the topics that we thought were relevant for, for aging. Um, but, you know, based on your experience, um, how clear is the connection between their behaviors earlier in life uh, to the he- their health later in life? And what actually seems to matter, you know, things among diet, exercise, sleep, or, or, or other things? Um, you know, because part of our, the idea here is to become knowledgeable about these things and make changes that were going to make a difference later. But how, how clear is the connection? There is a clear connection, Nick. Um, and again, looking back on 40 years of medical practice, and I have worked almost exclusively with people over the age of 65 and probably the average age of my patients are in their later 70s uh, to 80s. And people who age successfully are those that do most of the things that you uh, gentlemen covered. So people who are physically active, who uh, remain emotionally and socially engaged, and those who have satisfying uh, intellectual pursuits or, and it doesn't even have to be so much intellectual as they, they keep their interests up and stay engaged with those. And health habits are huge. So, you know, people can get away. So there will, we do see folks a lot who make it into their mid 60s, mid to mid 70s with reasonably good health, even though they haven't done the right things with exercise, but, and in eating properly, maybe they carry a little bit too much weight through most of their life. Uh, But that eventually catches up with folks and people who are extra special agers will be people who do more of those things. But clearly there's genetics in here as well. And there are medical illnesses that unfortunately can strike uh, people at any age. And even doing all of those right things don't seem to, you know, oftentimes doesn't protect you from uh, having a certain realm of, of illness. I think okay, I, so, you know, one, one example was there was a famous um well, centenarian named Jean Calment, who was a woman who lived well over age 100. And she smoked uh, until I think her 100th birthday when she decided if maybe she needed to give that up. But she also rode a bicycle and, and uh, again, was an intellectually active person. So you can get away with some things. So we um, so you mentioned things like uh, exercise and diet that we um that we did speak about. Um, 
But was there anything in what we discussed that you felt was missing? Well, um, you know, the uh, as, I, as I thought about it, and one of the major concerns of aging, the thing that people really fear the most is losing their cognitive abilities. So uh, you got a lot of the things that are important to successful cognitive aging, but uh, there are additional things. And in fact, depending on uh, who you want to believe, there's actually a a set of recommendations for folks to avoid having cognitive problems in later life. Um, For example, alcohol. Uh, There's a lot of data suggesting that alcohol and is a common reason why people develop cognitive impairment in later life. So, and, and our brain is our most complex organ. So it's has uh, affected by essentially everything. So people may have, uh, again, if you have even a, a some sort of genetic predisposition, but then you put on top of that all kinds of bad habits, like uh, and modifiable types of things like alcohol and poor exercise, um, then you're more likely to manifest earlier. So we, when we think about, um, yeah, I would say cognitive aging probably and influences there thereon would be something that probably we could explore a little more. What about you know the things that we did talk about? Were there any like major misconceptions? You, this is your chance to set the record straight. Um, no, as a, think, like an actual medical professional here. No, I was I was impressed. Uh, like some of your other listeners, uh, you picked some nice articles. You got to some key points, some nice take home messages, and so no, I I found there was nothing that made me cringe or you know wish that my son hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. It's a low bar, but okay, we'll we'll take it. <laughs> uh, professor, could I just? Dig into one one thing you mentioned um, about the cognitive issue is is al- a consumption of alcohol. So for a long time in the UK, they have generally recommended older people to drink alcohol because of the blood thing blood thinning effect. I think it was. Um, but is that is that sort of advice? You know, has there been any sort of change to that advice, or was that advice that was also given in the US? It was advice given in the US, Niraj, that. People should, oh, a small amount of alcohol, a drink a day is probably good for you. It may be heart healthy. And I think we've always known that excess amounts of alcohol are bad. So, and even the National uh, Institute on Alcohol and Alcoholism uh, would say it's okay to have one drink, uh, up to two drinks if you're a guy and one drink a day if you're a woman. And that for a long time was sort of what we all told our patients. Uh, There was a beautiful study that was published in The Lancet that did a meta-analysis of Lancet, a great British medical journal, right? Uh, Who, uh, where they they did a meta-analysis and this came out probably three or four years ago now. And it looks uh, based on that, that the safest amount of alcohol is zero. So for living longest and living best in terms of staying functional, no alcohol is best, uh, complete abstinence. Someone asked me this question about alcohol at a cocktail party. 
<laughs> and right after that article came out, I remember this actually an art show. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was kind of a bummer. In our in our aging uh, determinants episode, we we talked a little bit about this. How, um, you know, on all, in almost every way, uh, you know, al- alcohol abuse. Well, you know, drinking alcohol and alcohol abuse are not the same thing. But alcohol abuse and smoking, I believe it was, you know, was seen to reduce almost every uh, measurable outcome. Uh, you know, in older people, except that of their, you know, their self-perceived happiness or, you know, how they felt their, their life was going. And so I thought that was a little bit interesting. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of a, a trade-off here, right? Because some people naturally enjoy out, uh, drinking alcohol a lot and some don't. And for those that don't, um, it's obviously easy to take the recommendation to not drink any alcohol. But for somebody whose, you know, ability to socialize depends on it, that might be a little bit of a, a trickier decision. Yes, I think I would, I'm sure you're right. I would agree as well. When I'm not sure if when you were in the UK, you experienced the UK pub culture, but it is like a, a cornerstone of uh, many people's lives over here. And I think also during COVID, you know, there was people would have been more than happy to take the risk of catching COVID to, to be able to go to the pub and have drinks with friends. And, and that was a uh, very, it was sort of eye-opening and kind of um, that point of uh, having a happy life is also important. And socialization yeah. is really at the core of that, Niraj. I, I think the problem with the, with that example, though, is that you're not just only at risk of catching COVID, you're at risk of spreading COVID, right? This is the, the additional wrinkle, um, so which kind of kills that logic, at least for me, uh, Yeah. No. In, in that specific instance. No, pubs, the pubs were wonderful. Uh, absolutely. And you um, take kids to the pub. That's right. At least yeah. 30 years ago they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, let, let's zoom out a little bit and um, talk about some bigger picture questions that we'd like to get your input on. Um, this is a very big question. And so, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to cover it all in just a few minutes, but um, if you had to try to summarize, like, what are the biggest challenges that older people face? Um, that could help us try to think about how to work backwards and avoid those challenges. What 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 are the the biggest challenges that that older people face? Do you think, Dr. Potter? It depends on what the social safety net is like um, in your uh, particular country. But if uh, beyond uh, just sort of the basics of life, I mean, I think things that people a need to face, they, they face a series of losses. Um, again, loss of spouse is, is common. Uh, worse is a loss of a child uh, for, as people uh, grow older. And again, there's, again, this may have been in um, your social determinants of aging, but one of the things that, that determine uh, how people uh, do in life with those losses is how they can move beyond them. Okay. So yes, you lose that close person, but you're able to kind of re up your social uh, network uh, and uh, the better you cope and can move beyond losses really um, helps to overcome those things. So that's, that's a, that's a big one uh, is social losses. Also, you know, some decline in ability to care for oneself or what we call function uh, in geriatrics is really, um, the, it's, it's inevitable. 
Um, and you can look at there's there are beautiful statistics about you know people at various ages having problems with instrumental activities of daily living, which is everything that we do for small children, uh, you know, the cooking, cleaning, shopping. Um, so the ability to do those things are lost at some phase of life. And then at, in the later, uh, yet later phases, then basic activities of daily living. So everything that you did to get ready for the podcast, I mean, <laughs> dressing, uh, hygiene, uh, feeding, etc. So those losses are, um, you know, again, uh, a huge thing. And I think a lot of what people dread is becoming dependent on others, uh, not being able to care for oneself. And uh, sort of the, the flip side of that question is maybe, what, what does a successful old age look like? Um, yeah, it's, you know, again, um, you know, even if you have sustained losses, figuring out how best to maintain um, the things that are important to you. Um, and not everything about uh, aging is negative. Um, and there are other things that uh, become actually become better as we age. Could I ask a question about um, losses? So my grandma, she experienced quite a significant cognitive decline um, after my uncle passed away. Is that something? Is that something that's been researched? Like how these losses can precipitate really sudden changes in in um, cognitive ability or or anything like that? Yes, Naraj, that's a good example of stress. And again, one of the things that determines onset of cognitive or risk of having cognitive decline later in life is the amount of stress. So what there have been wonderful studies looking at people. Uh, and if you're a person who has lost jobs, have had periods of poverty, you know, those are all things that accumulate uh, as stressors to the brain. And then acute bereavement is what it sounds like your uh, grandmother lost a child and none of us expect to live longer than our children. And so that is a huge stress uh, and one which, again, if you have a vulnerable brain, if you're an old person to begin with, it can actually uh, precipitate um, ongoing you know, cognitive difficulties. And to a certain extent, too, um, people may have looked more at more carefully at her. Perhaps she had some mild cognitive decline and then you just became more and more concerned about her uh, and people paid attention and maybe uncle was doing things for her uh, that the rest of you weren't aware aware of. That, that was absolutely the case. I mean, because uh, um, she, she was in India and my, my uncle was India as, in India as well. So he was definitely helping her out a lot. So, yeah, it was just, it was just, um, you know, I, I'd never, it wasn't something I expected. And then, and it sun, sort of suddenly happened, maybe from my perspective, but as you mentioned, it could have been sort of happening already, but without our awareness. Another question, and this is actually related to, you know, as I, as I age myself and, and your answer on successful old age, sometimes I think yeah, <laughs> probably very immaturely that um, like this is my, my old age is essentially going to be like this. I, I, I'm not going to get, I, you know, it, I feel like it's quite hard to come to terms with the fact that you're going to age. Um, but something I wanted to know is whether there are any positives 
uh, people experience as they do age. I mean, we're going to have, there's a lot of discourse around the, the, the negatives and the decline and people's bodies changing and all that sort of thing. But are, are there any positives? You're just it's looking for the silver lining here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, in general, people are happier um, as wow, they get older. Good. Yes, they're they're happier. Um, there is uh, there again. I could pull out the studies, uh, you know, on wisdom. So people, older people, tend to make better choices, uh, fewer uh, mistakes. They're better able to judge people. Uh, so less likely. Um, without cognitive impairment are less likely actually uh, to not to trust people that they should not trust. They can tell who's trustworthy and not. And actually verbal ability uh, actually improves some with age. So there are positives. Uh, And, you know, you think about aging and decline and you think, oh, it would be so sad if, you know, I never was able to internationally travel. But as your world gets smaller, it actually is, that world becomes as satisfying as uh, the international world, you say. Um, so, you know, I know that Nurse likes international travel and uh, that's something you'd look forward to, but as you, know, as you get older, it's not necessarily uh, when you don't or aren't able to travel anymore, that's not gonna bother you as much. Uh, I think that's a good example of a kind of more general phenomenon of people's ability to adapt to changing situations. And then, you know, age is a big catalyst for change. And so, you know, it makes sense that it would appear there. I mean, I'm already experiencing uh, difficulties with long haul flights nowadays. So I can see that (laughs) the smaller world coming sooner rather than later. Um, And another question I had coming from... um, just because our family history is in India and and uh, across cultures, aging is treated very differently. Like, are there any major cultural variations in aging, and what sort of factors drive those? Well, I think acceptance of age is very culturally based. That you know, the within the Native American populations, um, people are just just carrying years brings with it a lot of respect by the younger population. Um, uh, within Black Americans, that's uh, they're much more likely to be cared for long-term by their families. So yeah, it's uh, the view of aging is really very different uh, based on the, the culture, um, how accepting people are. And some people in some cultures, yeah, again, it's a, it's a good thing to be uh a respected older person <laughs> but on that though so like this drives my my next question actually because i've noticed uh, the last two presidents of the u.s have both been in their 70s and i think joe biden might be approaching his 80s now if i'm not mistaken when he, when he um, ran again yeah yeah if he runs again but i i was just wondering like what you know does so they're both pretty driven people and they have a, a pretty strong sense of purpose. They, there's something they want to achieve. Um, and is that, is that purpose? Is that all oh, that fire in your belly? Is, belly? is that something that contributes to living longer and maybe having a, a more meaningful old age? It's pretty clear that you're know, having a purpose in life is extremely important. And 
there are people who, when they retire, they uh, stop working, stop being engaged. There's a high mortality in uh, people who worked and worked and worked um, and had so much of their identity tied up in that work. So, yeah, yeah, I think that, um, again, it's uh, at, at some point, and I think if you, there are many people, especially uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, who think that it's time really for a generational shift. Uh, but again, um, you know, someone like Biden, uh, who has a world of experience, he really does bring advantages uh, as a leader. Uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, very likely uh, people, you uh, who have significant positions uh, will continue to do well and, and be engaged. Um, you know, again, probably, uh, you know, when the retirement can be a trauma uh, and it's, can, that can be minimized if people sort of phase out and do it, do a gradual retirement and stay, stay active and engaged in their lifelong pursuits. Neeraj is actually the one who wrote this next question, but I'm going to steal it because I think it's good. Um, he asked, uh, what are things that we can do to support older people in our lives uh, to help them have a happier old age? Yeah. And again, um, assuming those are uh, either close friends or relatives, you have an enormous role to play. And you need to understand you know, what matters to that person, what is important to them, what brings them joy in life. And so those conversations are important to have if you're going to support someone into later life. We, there's a, what's called a 40-70 rule. Uh, so if you haven't had discussions with that important person who's aging uh, and is part of your life, you should, and before they turn 70 or you turn 40, whichever happens first, uh, you should have a conversation and start talking to them about what matters, what's important, what brings them joy, uh, what could they not live without. And that will actually give you a great insight in, in how to advocate for them and how to see that they spend the, their latter years uh, uh, in a successful and, and happy way. Well, I have to say that this is shocking how relevant uh, this is to me right now because, you know, 40 and 70 rounded to the nearest uh, five is uh, exactly our ages uh, <laughs> at the moment, mom. So so I guess I'll take the opportunity to ask you, uh, you know, what you just told me to ask, which is like, uh, what's important for you uh, as you get older? Well, it's it's clearly the connections with my children and grandchildren that are on the top. So those are hugely important. I would also say that uh, I have also, even when you were a small child, having intellectual pursuits and being able to contribute to the greater society has been important. And as you know, I still stay actively involved in uh, writing and teaching. And so those are things that uh, bring me joy. Um, it, and again, top of the, you guys are on the top of the list, but these are other things that are important for me. And I hope to be able to maintain uh, for some years to come. 
And then I won't necessarily have done over 40 years in, in aging and geriatrics. And uh, my favorite volunteer work uh, will be working with younger people and helping promote uh, them with careers in science. So again, that's, that's the next phase of my life. Excellent. And I've got it on record here so I can refer <laughs> to it. Um. So as uh, something you mentioned earlier was that it's, it's rare for uh, people our age to get interested in, in aging and, and this whole topic, but you must have uh, gotten interested around the same age or even earlier. Like what was your journey into, into this topic and how did that go? So between my first and second year of medical school, I went to a, and lived in a small rural hospital where my mother's family uh, had homesteaded. So Nick is aware of, of this. So it's a tiny, uh, tiny town, Geneva, Nebraska. Um, and it was an option to go uh, and do some training, if you would. Uh, so I went and worked with a doctor uh, who cared for the older people of this population. Younger people went to a larger medical center to get their care. Um, so this old-fashioned doctor made house calls and went to nursing homes and had an office practice and a hospital practice, all with very old people. And I loved them. I just enjoyed talking with them. I enjoyed interacting with them. Uh, and so that uh, was my inspiration. And then my then boyfriend, now husband, gave me a subscription to The Lancet. The Lancet, of course, is a the, probably the one of the top British medical journals, as you are aware. Uh, and in there, there was an article, sort of a letter to the editor uh, by a Dr. Kylie. Uh, and he described how he trained medical students alongside of pharmacy students and physical therapy students uh, in geriatrics. And so I wrote him an air letter, no email back in those days. So in the 70s, he got uh, an air letter and I said, gee, can I come and work with you at Central Middlesex Hospital in London? And he wrote back and said, yes. And thanks to my dad, I took out yet more student debt and I went to London uh, for two months during my senior year in medical school. And the British have a much more developed system of geriatrics than we have uh, in the U.S., so the advent of the National Health Service in, in, uh, right after World War II, geriatrics became a specialty. So medical care for old people was recognized back then. In the U.S., when I was in school, it wasn't even mentioned. Okay. So, <laughs> so I got, uh, and I saw a fully dis developed health system uh, in England. And so that became my idea of what healthcare for old people uh, should be like in America. So I've, I've traveled through that. Um, Nick knows that I was president of the American Geriatric Society in 2006, uh, 2007. And uh, yeah, um, it's, again, I've been an early promoter of the development of this specialty uh, in the country. Also, also longtime chief of geriatrics at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Yes, 30 years worth. <laughs> I think I think wow. the the youngest I was chief the youngest. of a medical division. Yes, is that right? Uh, that's what uh, our friend Dr. Sorrell, who hired me, said that uh, I was the youngest uh, division chief or section chief uh, in a 
Department of Medicine. And again, thanks to him, we uh, have our uh, section of geriatrics. Geriatrics, gerontology, more recently updated to include uh, palliative care. So I, I just want to say I'm, I really appreciate you coming on. That's a huge amount of expertise and experience and uh, and taking the time to share that with people. That's uh, that's awesome. Uh, and as we, uh, you know, think about how to how to wrap up here, both with, you know, with this season for now and also this this episode, uh, I wonder if would you like to share a little bit of advice um, for, you know, people who aren't yet uh, among the geriatric population what advice would you give them uh, looking forward so that they can have happier later years? Well, I think listening to the first episodes of this uh, of this season would be a good start. Uh, the, especially the episode on determinants of aging. Um, that was, I thought, spectacular. Uh, and that uh, work on being a happy person um, because that will help you build a strong social network and a social network is a big determinant of how well uh, people are cared for in their later life. I, I frequently tell the medical students, yeah, work on being a nice person if you want to be well cared for uh, when you get older. And, you know, think about how you adapt to change um, and losses. And losses come in all kinds of sizes and types. And But think about you know, developing some resiliency uh, to overcoming uh, problems. I think this this be a nice person thing. We're going to have to do a whole episode on that for for Neeraj's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a critical missing piece in your plan here. Exactly. <laughs> well, Neeraj puts up with Nick Schaefer every week, so I think it's good uh, pra- good practice in resilience practice. No. for resiliency. Yeah. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Very cool. Um, well, you know, as Neeraj said, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on. And Neeraj, thanks for suggesting this as a topic. It's been really fun doing this sort of first high-level overview with it, uh, with you. And, uh, you know, most likely we will come back to some of these topics and they're so important um, and there's so much to talk about. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we we close it out for today? No, it would just be interesting to see the evolution of our dietary and exercise journeys, I think. Oh, the diet is a problem for me. <laughs> I, I reported on that last week a little bit, but it, it remains to a problem. So okay. um, I'm, I'm still on my my bicycle ride in the morning, but the diet thing is uh, it's a persistent issue. So I'm going to well, have to rely on being a nice person, I guess. Exactly, that's it. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, thanks for everybody uh, who tuned in and we will be back next week, most likely with a, a new episode, a new season on some new topic. So um, thanks for tuning in. Remember uh, if you'd like to leave a voice message and uh, we'll see you later on the Wild Truth Chase podcast. Yeah. Happy to take any suggestions for topics. So if you do want to leave that voice message with a suggestion, that, that would be awesome too. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dr. Potter. You're welcome.